Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hello and welcome again to Dave and Marlo, a Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dave Deckard here together with Marlo Ferguson, and we are planning to have an amazing time. The NBA Finals have started since we've talked. The Miami Heat narrowly defeated the Boston Celtics and made it to the finals against the Denver Nuggets, then lost game one. Uh, Any residue from that Celtics Heat series that's sticking in your mind? I mean... The Celtics take it to Game 7 and then prove once again, I think it's 151 straight times now our teams have tried to come back from 3-0 and have not made it. I think this was only like the fourth time that they actually forced a seventh game, something like that. And uh, almost, but the Celtics actually came out kind of uh, flat in Game 7 and never really stood a chance. What did you think of that? I thought it was justified. You know, I thought it was going to end up being that way. Um, Mentally and physically, it's just so difficult to go beat a team four consecutive times, especially when you know if you lose a game, your season's over. So uh, I kind of expected it to be a, a, a weird situation in, in Miami. I think I picked the Boston Celtics to win that series. Um, but <laughs> just Miami, you know, having that advantage, you know, I, I thought it was going to be huge for them. But in the finals, I, I kind of expected game one to go as it did with, you know, them having to go 6,000 feet in the air, um, never having nine or 10 days off and, and things like that. So, um, great for Miami. You know, I think it's great for their culture and, and their fan base. And, and, you know, you love to see an underdog do that. But I think they got a lot of a lot of trouble ahead of them with Denver in this series. So. Well, I mean, Jokic is just such a nightmare, right? Because he got Bam Adebayo and he's a great defender. But again, it shows how loose those terms are because how great you are depends on what's being asked of you. And Miami, I think, has a, a, a big problem right now in that if they single cover Jokic, Bam can't do it. He can't He can't deny, uh, and he also, I mean, Jokic is just so big comparatively that he can shield the ball and get position, and then his footwork and execution is just too good. Obviously, his court vision is good enough to pass, too. So you got a problem if you just try to stick him with Bam. But as soon as you try something else, you know Jokic is just going to pass to the first open man, and Denver is going to shoot which is a basic problem to have. It's, it's more basic even than the pick and roll. Like there's nothing, the pick and roll is the bread and butter, but this is like the grain. This is like the, you know, the, the, the only thing that could be more simple. And yet it, it looked completely unstoppable in game one. Yeah, you really got to pick your poison. And from what I was reading, people were throwing out ideas on how, how, how maybe Miami would be able to overcome that. Um, and some were saying that maybe you let Jokic get 40 points, 45 points, and, and and try to limit his assists and just make it a one-dimensional game. But for Miami, I don't I don't know that there's a, a way for them to to nullify what he's doing. I think it's, it's you're gonna have to deal with something either way it goes. Um, we talked last week about the three-point variance. You know, the Miami they had been the hottest team in the league from three-point range over the first uh, three rounds. They shot 39. percent Then you get in the game one. Uh, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, and, and who was it? Kaylin Martin. They combined and shoot two for 23. So you know you, you can't. You can't mix both of those together where you're having poor offense and poor defense. Um, and, you know, with all due respect to them, they won't shoot that poorly again. But even so, I don't know what they're going to do to get out of this out of this hole now. So. I mean, there's nothing. If you let Jokic score 40, Denver will win too. You know, and <laughs> yeah. what he scored, I, I forget. I don't have the stats in front of me. But he scored like 27 on 12 shots or something like that. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I, how do you, I mean, that's just, that's just disgusting. Um. <laughs> The free throw 
variant yeah, was two. was here. I mean, two free throws in in a, a playoffs game, let alone a finals game. That's wow. Yeah, I'm with you. That's, that's absolutely. I don't know how you how you even explain that, especially with the players they have on that team. Uh, but you know, I expect Jimmy Butler to kind of bounce back. He talked about he was going to be more aggressive and, and try to find his spots. Um, but it's just I don't know. It, it, that that game has some some weird box score anomalies on it that you've really never seen, especially for a finals game. So um, I'm expecting him to play a little bit tougher in game two. But I think the result will be the same though. So the the free throw thing is that just lack of aggression? Is that just a tidal wave of Denver rolling over him, or do you think refing had something to do with it? I think it's more a lack of aggression. Uh, they seem pretty content to, to shoot out on the perimeter um, and hoist three-pointers up. And, and to their credit, you know, you, you come in as the hottest team from three, you know, in the first three series. You know, you, you think you have something going there. Uh, but I think you definitely want to attack the rim. Historically, you look at Denver, they've always been one of those teams with Jokic where they, they've struggled to defend the paint, defend the rim. And uh, it was earlier this year where San Antonio and teams like that were, were kind of taking Jokic out of the MVP race because of that because of his defense at the rim and in pick and rolls and whatnot. So I think that's the way to go. Uh, my question would be, does Miami have the players to do that? You know, outside of Jimmy Butler, is Bam Adebayo going to be aggressive? You know, he loves the floaters, but we go all the way. So they're going to they're gonna have to look into that and see what they can do. But, you know, I think they're, they're vulnerable there if you take the, take the right approach to it. Yeah, you know Jokic is going to move you when he's on offense. There's no way to prevent it. But you got to move him on defense, right? You got to at least make him run, if not work. And hope that, I mean, hoping for fatigue is kind of a cheap way out, especially in the finals, but you got to at least make him sweat, right? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Got to move him around, and, and that's, I think that's a strategy you use with any star. You know, you want to make him move, get some, get some, get some of his stamina out, um, and I think that's probably the best way to go. You know, they got some things going for him. I don't think that Aaron Gordon's going to be as great in game two, guys like that, but... That team just has so many weapons that, man, you just never know what you're going to get. So I think it starts with hitting your three-pointers and then at the next stage, getting to the line. So we'll see how it goes, though. You know, uh, I make the comparison loosely because there's a, a lot of differences, but Denver may be one of the closer potential champions to the Trailblazers when they won it back in 77. I mean, you got an MVP-level multi-skilled center uh, you've got a solid team around him. Now, I think Denver has more stars and talent than Bill Walton had on that 77 Blazers team, Maurice Lucas aside. But it's like they, they kind of play that way, right? A lot of ball sharing. I mean, and they want to push tempo, especially early. There's, there's a lot of, uh, what do I want to say? Pleasing basketball surrounding a transcendent center that kind of pleasantly harkens back to uh, the days of yore in Portland. Yeah, I think that's what makes them, you know, kind of easy to root for, you know, other than them being in the same division as Portland and, and being playoff rivals. But, you know, from what I've seen from that that 77 Blazers team, a lot of offense out the high, out of the high post uh, with Bill Walton and having people cutting and him taking advantage of that on the perimeter. Um, it's, it's, it's really similar. So I, I think it's, it's a fun brand of basketball to watch. I think you, you definitely prefer this over – isolation heavy basketball so it's a breath it's a breath of fresh air and i think it's enjoyable enjoyable playing on both ends and it'll be a well-deserved championship you know regardless of who wins it i think Jokic also is as close as you get to being able to rival arvita sabonis uh that i mean and Jokic's nba nba career obviously will be better than sabonis's nba career right already is but you know there's always People forget about Arvidas, and there's always quacking about, you know, Vlade Divac or other players. Uh, and Shaq was dominant in his own way, of course. Those two don't compare. I get it. But Jokic is the first guy I've seen that you could go, okay, yeah, you can, you can mention him in the same sentence as Arvidas. Even the, you know, Soviet version of Arvidas, Jokic is that good. That's a good, I'm glad you brought that up. I definitely wish he had came a little bit earlier than he did. Um, but with Jokic, I think the, the kind of the fun part about it is like they asked about this yesterday, uh, who he might am after, and he was naming guys like like Boris Diaw and, and Lamarcus Aldridge and whatnot. So I'm not sure how much of Sabonis he got to see. I'm guessing he's seen a little bit as he got to the league, but um, it's just really cool, you know. You, you see guys like that that they just change the game, you know. He's one of those guys. I think he's already a Hall of Famer, 
um, if he retired today. So it's 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 fun to see, and it's kind of crazy to think that him and he and Yusuf Nuggers were on the same team a couple of years back. I know. I always think about that. Like, okay, back in 2016, you know how. What did Denver know? Obviously, they knew that they wanted to keep Jokic, but how badly? If they were going to trade somebody for Mason Plumley, obviously it was going to be Nurkic, but they traded Nurk in a pick. Like, they were valuing Plumley for somebody. Was there any chance of talking them into trading the other center, even if you had to sweeten it a little bit? And if you could go back, if you knew. Ah, it's, it's just so tough. Because can you imagine... Lillard and Jokic playing together. Oh my goodness, that pick and roll would be best pick and roll of the generation. Just oh my goodness, yeah, my goodness. <laughs> uh, just makes you kind of sick. Uh, anyway, yeah. So we'll see. I, you know, I, I picked Miami as I said going into the conference finals and to to win it all. And I think Miami, it's weird because they're just look. They're that dirty fighter. I mean, uh, Denver's come in, and as you said, with the extra rest, with the mile high, with this actually superior team, I think, they've done, you know, they've come out and played by Marcus of Queensbury rules and kind of, you know, put a couple jabs in and and put a stiff one in, uh, you know, Miami's uh, jaw. Okay. So, but I swear to you, it feels like the Heat are going to just kneel down and go for a low blow. Just bam, you know, like it could be game three or game four or something where Jimmy Butler or Bam or somebody is going to just get in the grill and uh, stop fighting fair. And it feels like Miami will make this somewhat of a series. But it's hard when you see Denver do that in game one to not go, oh, wow. Yeah, this is uh, this is scary. Yeah, Miami could be playing a little bit of possum. Um, I think they got you know, a, a level they can reach. I think what's going to be fun is, is seeing what happens when Tyler Hero gets back because he got ruled off for game one, but they're saying he could be back, you know, eventually later in the series. Um, and obviously you hope that it doesn't happen when they're down 0-3 or anything like that. But this team just has a resiliency and a, a swagger about them that, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to kind of hard to ever doubt them. You know, like how a wrestler would, would Ricky in the eye when the referee isn't looking, something like that. Like, yep. they just they just have about them that you, know, you can never count them out. So, yeah, um, no- even though Denver has this, I can see them getting the picture. Yeah, that's a way better analogy, actually. Uh, that okay, Denver wants to keep in the ring. Mammy at some point going to go get a chair, right? <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll see when that happens. Uh, but you also can't forget how mercurial Miami was during the regular season. I mean, this team was bad for a while. You just hope that they didn't like peak in that seven-game series. And, and, okay, granted, look, they beat Boston. They beat Milwaukee. I mean, what do you expect, right? You know, I mean, like, how how much uh, are you... you if they if they, their wave crested last week, you still couldn't blame them. They, they're an eighth seed. They played in the play-in. They went way farther than they were supposed to. But I kind of hope it didn't. I kind of hope they got one little thing left to make this a series. Ah, let's let's look to it. The other, I think, big news that is breaking this week is that repetitive hiring of championship coaches. So the latest one that came out today, the Phoenix Suns hire Frank Vogel, who won it with the Los Angeles Lakers, of course, in 2020. Uh, the Detroit Pistons have Monty Williams now. And uh, Nick Nurse uh, went to the Sixers, I believe. So... Yeah, I mean, it's three huge names now off the market. So I guess we're not surprised that they are being hired. Which one of those shocks you most, if any, like as far as where they went up, ended up or, or what happened? I think looking at it, I think I would probably go with Phoenix still. Um, just because Monty Williams, he, he, he's already proven he's a caliber coach. Um, and my stance you know, I think that front offices have been a tad bit too impatient when teams don't win championships. They're so quick to jump the gun and, and fire coaches. Um, and so, you know, for them, I think it's good if they feel like they've got something better. But at the same time, I think that um, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I just. I, I have a hard time really feeling bad for Phoenix, knowing that they traded so many players for Kevin Durant. They gave the entire depth away. 
Um, and then depending on, on Monty Williams, is, is, I think it's kind of cool. But, you know, he's, he's a $72 million man. I think he'll get over it. Um, and it's, it's going to be fun to see how these new, new faces work out. Well, I think, you know, the Suns with Vogel makes some sense because, I mean, how did, he, how did he win in L.A.? He has a transcendent superstar whom he fits with other stars in a basic game that highlights both, right? And what does Phoenix need now? They are now out of the blended era, uh, and they are into, here's Kevin Durant and here's Devin Booker, let's make them work, right? With a little DeAndre Ayton besides perhaps. So, I mean, I get uh, that systemic changeover from Williams to Vogel. I, Monty Williams, I mean, Detroit, that surprises me just a little bit like that he would go there, but $12 million a year speaks pretty loud. I mean, if someone's going to pay you a million dollars a month to coach, you probably do it. They gave him a six-year deal. This was exactly what I was suggesting that the Blazers should have done. Uh, I don't think that Portland, I, I doubt that was even a discussion. I don't, I don't think you could knock on the door of Vulcan Inc. and say, we'd like to uh, raise our coaching budget by $10 million a year over the next six years, if we could, please. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming that's why we heard nothing about that besides loyalty to Chauncey Billups, of course, and et cetera, et cetera. But boy, it's, it, this, I hope this doesn't come down to a case of bad timing again, where it's like next year, oh, we do need to move on from our coach, but, you know, Monty's now in Detroit for the next half decade, and, you know, Nick Nurse is gone, too. Yeah, I, I sense that with the Blazers fan base, you know, there's some, some growing frustration with seeing all of these championship-level coaches uh, being carousel around and Portland kind of staying complacent um, in that regard. But, you know, for the way things are going, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see more coaches get released next year. Um, just with the way that they may be going as of late, you know, if we don't win a championship and there's something demonstrative about the way you lose, such as, you know, Doc Rivers blowing the blowing the lead again, 3-2 lead, um, and Monty Williams in this situation, it wouldn't surprise me to see more high-profile coaches on the radar. So we'll see how it goes, but I think for the Blazers and, and Chauncey Billups, I think you just got to focus on getting better as you can and continue to improve. You know, he's, he's been able to up his win totals year by year, um, and it probably could have been better if they didn't have to tank at the end, but We'll see how it goes. If they can get to 40, 45 wins, I think there'd be some 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 of the fan base that would be a little bit disappointed just because it, it's so similar to what we've seen before. Uh, but it'd be a step in the right direction, uh, especially since we don't know how the roster looks. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, just it's the it's the double years of tanking that are causing part of the issue, right? Like, first of all, frustration because Phillips's win total is lower than it should be. But also, I think, you know, people want to see a change. They want to see growth. And all those question marks surrounding Billups, whether he can get the team. I think all of that creates kind of a miasma that kind of hangs over the organization. But that miasma is the same reason they're not going to make a coaching change right. Because I think they're figuring, you know, we got a coach for $2 million a year that we think is good enough for where we are right now and the foreseeable future. And we're not going to go out and pay six times that much for a guy that we know will be good enough, but we're not sure the team is going to be good enough for which direction we're headed in. So there's no way we're going to invest in the coach before we see a demonstrated need because either the coach we have is bad or the coach we need is better. Uh, it's just... I, I can't argue with the reasoning right now, but it's very Blazers myopic. You know, it's just like, for where we are right now, this makes sense. Okay, but where you are right now is not where you want to be. How about looking three years ahead, right? How about putting on the high beam? They're like, it feels like they've been driving right in front of their headlights for a while now. It's just like, get your eyes up on the road and let's try to forecast something ahead that leads to actual winning instead of guesswork. Yeah, it's, and it's weird seeing so many other franchises making that 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 step and not settling for mediocrity. Um, I, I can see both sides of it. I know on one side, you know, you can only hit the, the panic button and, and the reset button so many different times. Uh, but at the same time, if there are, you know, more experienced coaches out there, you know, you owe it to your fan base and your players to see what's out there. 
Um, but I've got my, my reservations about Chauncey Billups and what he does. I think there are some things that he, he does well. He was in the uh, coach, a coach of the year conversation earlier in the year, um, but kind of lost the rotation. And then on the flip side, uh, the, the, pl- the players have sort of blamed it on health, but when they were healthy, they were mediocre too. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a double edged sword. I'm not really sure what they're going to do, but I guess with the way it's going now, you've got to run it back one more time with, with Billups and then you, you can evaluate after that. But that's weird. It's weird, but it's, it's going to be nice to see these new faces across the NBA though, for sure. I think it galls maybe because it's Detroit. I mean, they won 17 games. It was the worst record in the league. And yet they're investing. They know who Monty is. They're investing long-term in a coach that they know is going to be quality. And I'm not saying Williams is perfect, but literally they gave him an an infinity contract when it comes to coaching. I mean, it's six years, 72 million is the report. And first of all, the 12 million a year is a huge coaching salary. Immediately vaults him into the NBA elite. And six years is an enormous span of time. And, and there was muttering about their options for years beyond that even. Okay, they literally took the worst team in the league that's in the worst part of their rebuild and said, we know this at least is a good move. The Blazers being north of that and also thinking that they're closer to contending it just kind of makes you itch that they're going, yeah, but we don't know, you know, we think this coach is good or good enough or whatever, even though the track record isn't there. Either they really, really super believe in Chauncey Billups or they're just kind of sitting on their hands. And either way, you can find an argument as to why that's wrong. I think it's probably the second one from them sitting on their hands and, and being kind of patient. Um, but it's weird seeing them do that when other teams that are, are worse than them, like you said, they're being aggressive with it. And to Monty, Monty Williams' credit, you know, you look at his resume, everywhere he's going, he's made teams better. You know, I'm looking at it now. They, Phoenix were from a 34 win team to 51 to 64, uh, almost 80 percent, 80 percent win percentage. Pelicans and the Hornets, same thing. So I think you got to tip your cap to those organizations that are, are trying at least to, to be aggressive with it, but. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Portland does that in a, in a year or two, uh, but they, they sometimes they, they act as if they have a lot of time. They've got all the time in the world to do it. So I don't know. You got to kind of wait and see how it goes. Well, and Monty is the guy. I mean, Monty is a Portland guy. It's, that I keep coming back to that. And it eliminates, like we said, eliminates one of the question marks. Like there are too many question marks. You could have eliminated one of them. Maybe you didn't eliminate the most important one about Damian Lillard or even the second most important one about the rotation around him. But coaching, you could have, okay, we've solved this, all right? Now we don't ever have to worry about this again for the next six years. Now let's work on the next question. It's like we had to clean up our backyard, and it's a pain, right? But we can't do it all at once. There are too many damn weeds everywhere, so we just took a section and did it. And it's just like, uh, you know, feels like the Blazers just flicked on the remote and said, you know what, we'll get to it tomorrow. Ah. All right. Anyway, speaking of question marks, uh, something that's come up again. I mean, the Blazers have worked out the Thompson twins. Yeah. And we knew that was coming. So there's nothing revolutionary about that. Should ask you first. I mean, what do you think about them? Would you be shocked if the Blazers drafted either one of them third? For the first part, I would say that uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of theirs. Um, I worry about their, their shooting the three-point shooting and the perimeter shooting, but, you know, what they're able to do in the open floor and their athleticism. Um, and from the interviews from yesterday, they seem like really, really good kids. And I should, I should probably rephrase that because <laughs> being in the early 20s and calling somebody a good kid feels kind of weird, but they seem like good people. They seem like really good interviewers and they'd be a welcome part of the team, but I would be a little bit shocked to see them uh, being taken at that number three spot if, if Brandon Miller and, and Scoot Henderson are there. So that'll be... That'd be something to look at too. But you know, if they if they were there and, and Portland traded the three pick for like the six and eleven and they were there like that, which probably won't happen. Um, I wouldn't mind that, but the shooting kind of concerns me a little bit with them. Yeah. So this goes under the category of due diligence, but it's probably not I mean, it's a little bit due diligence for the third pick, because you gotta you gotta look at everybody you might take, even if the Thompsons aren't quite your in your bell curve, they're they're somewhere on the graph, right? But you brought up the possibility we brought up last week, which I think will begin to pick up steam. And I'm not sure they trade down for 6 and 11, 
But the two trades that we posited as a possibility, if they liked one or the other of the Thompsons, is uh, six and Wendell Carter Jr. or uh, seven and Miles Turner. And Yusuf Nurkic would be outgoing with either of those, so you'd probably lose your current center, unless you stacked... Uh, gosh, I can't even think of how you would manage that, though. Like, Nasir Little, and you'd need more. I mean, you'd have to, like, sign and trade Justice Winslow or something. I'm not sure it would make a lot of sense to posit anyone besides Nurk. But, uh, so, let's pretend Nurk is outgoing. Would either of those trades interest you? Uh, again, that would be six in Wendell Carter Jr. or seven in Miles Turner for Nurkic and the three pick. Uh, if I'm swinging for a home run, I think they do interest me. Um, I think like Brandon Miller, for example, I think he's a safer pick. If you put him on side of the, the, the Thompson Twins, I think he's a safer pick. But if you want to go for more upside, swing for a home run, I think you, you take a chance at that. Um, I think those two have there's just this boundless potential with their athleticism. If they can get a three-point shot, um, you know, it's kind of difficult to envision it happening, but if they were to get that going, I think it'd be big for them. And at the same time, like we said last week, you're killing two birds with one stone. You know, you're getting more athletic and, and more a lot of different ways without sacrificing, you know, Simons and our sharp and things like that. Um, and, and if that's on the table, you know, I don't think you just trade those two for anything. But if you can get something like that and you bring on the Thompson twins, I think it'd be cool. I think it'd be cool to see. Well, and this is why you look right, because if. For instance, Mike Schmitz fell in love with one of them, whichever one's going to be available, right? Uh, and you're going like, I forecast him being available there, and the third pick is a waste, and we like him as much as Miller. I mean, they're, they're either equal or we think this is our guy. You can buy a more athletic center and your guy, the same guy you would have got. Uh, and it's not, that, um, it's not that you'd be trading down because you gave up something. If they think Miller is better, they should get Miller, right? Or Scoot Henderson if he's available, right? But if they literally think one of the Thompsons is, would be their man regardless, why would you not do something like that? So you would have something like, let's say, uh, Miles Turner, you'd have Jeremy Grant, you'd have a Thompson, and you'd have all the guards that you already have. And Nasir Little, too, uh, helping out, probably I would imagine would start at the three or at least play platoon with a lot of minutes at the three to take the pressure off your rookie playing small forward. I mean, that's, that's actually not horrible, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to it. I think any situation where you're getting, getting bigger without having to get too much older, I think you definitely take a chance on that. Um, and I think we're going to learn a lot about you know, Mike Smith and, and the, the scouting department and what they like and, and players and their tendencies. The players they brought in for interviews, they've been mostly six foot seven, six foot eight guys, and there are so many of those in this draft. So uh you, you like where they're going with that. I think in the past past regimes, we brought on a lot of undersized guys, smaller guys. So seeing them kind of size up a little bit there and, and being more versatile, it, it'd be a welcome sight to see. So, you know, if we're able to exactly like you said it, uh, I think a lot of Blazers fans would probably appreciate that brand of basketball, even if it didn't lead to wins right away. Yeah, it'd be fun to watch. If you had to choose between Turner, let's Let's presume your pick was available at six or seven. So that the draft pick's not going to matter either way. So if you had to choose between Turner and Carter Jr., who would you prefer? Carter Jr. is younger. Turner is more proven, but also Nurkic age, which is right in his prime. How did the uh, contracts work out? I'm not sure by heart. Oh, it's but... okay. Yeah, uh, they're both about the same. Now, uh, okay. Turner is... Weird, because he got some kind of extension that gave him a retroactive boost for this year. So his contract this year is $35 million, but it goes to $20 million next year, and I think 19 the year after or something like that. So it's real reasonable. Uh, Carter Jr. is the other way. He's like, I don't know, 14, 16 somewhere, and goes a little higher. But they're right there in that, uh, you know, 20, 15 to $20 million range. It's kind of interesting with the new CBA uh, set to come out. Um, how that works out. But I think I would rather have Miles Turner, if you would ask me right now. I just like what he does as an interior defender a little bit more. Um, he stretches the floor really well. And I think that that would kind of fit into what Portland's been talking about all offseason long with, with getting older too. So um, I don't think you can go wrong with either one if you're replacing them with Nurkic because you're going to get more athletic. You're going to be able to get some versatility going there. But I would go Turner by a hair. I think he kind of aligns with, with, with Lillard's timeline and the championship timeline a little bit, a little bit more. Yeah, you know, this just 
feels like a, a, a trailblazer's move. Yeah. The look, it's it's a half measure, but I'm not going to scream if it happens for two reasons. First, because I do trust that they're not going to give up the guy they really want at three uh, if, if he's not going to be available at six or seven. Right? They're, they they won't do that. I would assume that they really like the guy at six or seven as much as they like the guy at three, and they're getting extra value. But the other thing is that. Look, there are two roads that they're stuck between now are really all or nothing roads. Either make a mega trade, which is nearly impossible and revolutionize the franchise in one stroke, or trade Damian Lillard, which to them is a huge, huge move, right? Um, those are, the gap between those is enormous. This is kind of a platform in between where you can jump like a stepping stone and you go, I improved the roster. I didn't. I didn't make it age. It either got younger or stayed the same. I didn't take on more money. I did change the talent and the makeup of the team so I can turn to Damian Lillard credibly and said, look, we did something. We added a, a lottery pick and we added a new center. But I didn't commit to, you know, to anything else. So I did give up future assets. I didn't give up flexibility, uh, all that stuff. Uh, this, this feels like actually a sensible move even though it's a very Blazers-esque move. Yeah, and people won't want to hear it, but given the, the resources and what the Blazers have gotten themselves into, you know, it might be as good as it gets. Uh, you know, you don't really have as many options as you maybe think you do. Um, and I think the benefit of either getting, getting that number three player or you know, trading that for two players, whatever you do, is you give yourself a little bit more freedom with contracts. Um, the Blazers have already dealt out so much money to, to the Nurkic, uh, Lillard, Simons, Grant, that grouping. Um, that if you're able to get a guy on a rookie contract, you can strike while the iron's hot and maybe do some things with that. Um, but we'll see how it goes. I, I I think that they've got some some good options. You know, it's it's a not a great spot to be in, but it's not a terrible spot either. And I don't think that they have a championship move they can make with this. But there's a chance for them to get back into the postseason, and I think that's a, a step in the right direction. You know, with all things considered. Well, and let's get real. You and I were credibly discussing acquiring Mo Bamba at the trade deadline as a move that could help this team and still might, you know, although, you know, he didn't, didn't do much in LA, but, uh, that, that's the level of move we're talking at, at desperation at center. And it, it's, it's partially because Nurkic was injured, but also partially because they just need help at that position too. If they drafted a small forward and got what you'd consider at least an athletic upgrade at center, that might be a credible off season. Let's talk about the now as we close here. Let's talk about the last big eventuality, uh, and that's jumping clear to the other side that we haven't covered as much because we don't think the team. Look, I think this might be the right idea. Maybe you do too. I'll ask you, but I don't think it's on the Blazers' radar. But let's let's discuss it for fun. Let's say Brandon Miller goes to Charlotte at two. Because they always already got one of the ball boys, they don't want a uh, another point. Scoot Henderson becomes available at three. Now you're looking at Scoot Henderson. You can tell us what you love about him. Athleticism is certainly one of those things. And you're going like, here I have Scoot Henderson in my left hand. I have Shaden Sharp in my right hand, and I am looking at a Henderson Sharp backcourt on rookie contracts. I mean, combined, making. $15 million a year, maybe 18 top. Can you pass that up as your backcourt of the future? I mean, you know if you do that, you know if you take Henderson, that's not only going to make Dame itch, that's probably going to make Dame question, right? You're, you're like going, okay, uh, that's, that's the nail in the coffin there. But on the upside, again, Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp as your backcourt of the future. And you haven't even talked about Anthony Simons staying, let alone Dame, you know. So do you think that's a viable option? And would that tempt you? Oh, man, the, the, the sports center highlights you get out of those two every single night. It'd be a joy to watch. That first year would be would be some some ugly basketball, but it'd be it'd be a lot of fun to watch. Um, I think you consider it. I think you consider it just because of the financial freedom that it gives you. Um, I think there are a couple of caveats that I would want to see 
you know, if that were the case, I think you, you kind of want to see Dame. If, if Portland, the front office, I think they would do that if they did. But putting him in a situation where he can win a championship to where it's, you know, mutually uh, beneficial. Um, but like you said, just having two guys on, on rookie contracts, you know, it kind of reminds me of like football when you get a, a great quarterback and you try to load your entire roster to take advantage of that window. Only could do something similar to that. I think it'd be fun to see that, but I don't know. I think it depends on what you do with Simons, and, and I think you'd have to probably get rid of Simons and Lillard and start almost completely fresh. But you know, I, I think that every option has to be on the table for a team that hasn't hasn't delivered what they said they were going to do. So, I mean, it it it's kind of scary. I mean, it's just it would absolutely change the franchise. But you look at an arc of like Sacramento. I mean, Darren Fox has been there a couple years now and really came forward this year. Uh, they made a midseason, or not midseason, a summer trade that absolutely boosted them in DeMontis Sabonis that got them the veteran help at the right position because they had some extra players to move in that. And by the way, that was a beneficial trade for both teams. The Blazers would be set up to do that kind of thing almost twice. Now, I don't think you get to keep Damon Simons for very long. I don't think you get to keep him for multiple years. But you could keep one of them one more year, at least. And really, you would still keep Dame as long as Dame would stay. I just don't think he'd stay that long, right? But you technically don't have to trade either of them. You have them under contract. You have some amount of time to make a move. That that's got to be, that's got to be at least under some consideration if it happens. Yeah, I I I think it'd be a lot of fun to see. Um, you know, I, I kind of worry about it becoming a situation kind of like Houston where they got you know Porter, Kevin Porter Jr. and uh, Jalen Green where you got the highlight guys but they're not paying the right brand of basketball. So, you know, with that, my question would be, when you do decide to eventually move on from Lillard assignments, do you decide to trade those guys for really young guys or do you try to get more experience there? So I think that's something I would think about. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's a, it's a situation where maybe we don't want to admit it, but, you know, it's a situation where everybody can kind of win from that. You know, the Blazers get a fresh start with the organization and the, and the new front office. Uh, Damian Lillard gets a chance to chase the championship in a different, more, I guess, a, a better place for him to get one. Um, but I, I think it's fun to think about. But for me, I don't know my 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 appreciation for Lillard and just how how loyal he's been. I think it, it's kind of it take a it take a while to kind of get over it, but I think it, every every situation has to be on 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 the board at this point. Yeah, I mean, I was looking to see if like you could finagle another trade right away to get a Thompson as well. I mean, because that would be kind of scary, but I don't think any of the teams in that range would have any use for Lillard. And I don't think Simons does it. So, you know, but there's certainly avenues of approach that open up if you posit the idea of a very young backcourt, very athletic backcourt, that just aren't open as long as you center things around Lillard. Again, I don't think the Blazers do this any more than they get a new coach instead of Chauncey Billups. But, boy, those possibilities are open. Look, I don't think they have to make a move right now. I'm going to assume that they know what they're doing. My patience for them coming back in a year and going, oops, is going to be pretty small because of all these avenues that are open right now. And like we said, you have to have some foresight. You can't just go, oh, well, you know, we made the move that made sense at the time for us based on the position we were in. Well, yes, you've been saying that for the last six years, but you keep getting yourself in that position as well, so it doesn't wash. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. And, and just reading the tea leaves and what the Blazers have kind of done uh, under this new front office, it feels like every trade they've made and a lot of the choices they've made have kind of been with the salary cap and getting younger, you know, in mind. So they're already kind of trading in that direction. Uh, you saw that with the Josh Hart, Josh Hart trade. Uh, CJ McCollum trade, just things like that that are making them more youthful um, and focusing on, on, on saving money. So I, I think that they've gotten themselves into a hole and now they kind of understand that, hey, the, the four guys we paid all this money to, Nurkic, Grant, Simon's Lillard, maybe we won't, maybe there's not a, a 
playoff level or even a championship level ceiling to that. So, you know, you got a chance to kind of start over without it being something that's too detrimental. Um, and I don't think Blazers fans, supporters, they would be too opposed to seeing a fresh start there too. So there's a win-win there to be found. Um, it may not, the win might not be a championship, but the win might be um, just a, a new brand of Blazers basketball that we haven't seen before. So thinking about it, it's, it's fun to think about, but I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, two thoughts on that. First of all, you've brought up another master that it's going to be interesting to see if they can serve, which is that, that luxury tax line. Now, they keep making noise about wanting to build the best team possible around Dame. You know what? No matter what trade you make, can you do that without using your mid-level exception as well? Because there's no doubt they need front court help. And some of the trades that are on the uh, horizon, at least theoretically, would cost them either a center in Nurkic or uh, a small forward in Nasir Little. So that situation may not get better just based on a trade. If they make a deal that they say, well, this is our home run, this is what we were aiming at, but then do not want to go over the luxury tax and do not use their mid-level uh, accordingly, that's gonna, you know, that's a pretty big asterisk to that we did the best we could, don't you think? Yeah, the, the, the words and the actions just haven't really matched up to me as much. Um, I'm not sure what you can get with that mid-level session. We talked a little bit about it last week, but uh, I think if you can just get a, a veteran presence, even if he's a little bit older, if you can get a guy that can come play some defense and just add some, add some size to it, I always think about what, what Chauncey Billups said last year about the uh, the drop coverage and how they, they were kind of forced to uh, play a different way because they didn't have the size. I think this is the best time to prepare for it. I think you use that number 23 pick, try to get some size, use the mid-level exception or whatever, whatever, whatever you can do to get bigger. Um, so I think we're on the same page with that. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the decisions that they make, it's going to depend on, I think we're going to see a lot of it on draft night. Like it's, you got to see what Charlotte does first. And then make their move. Um, so they're going to have to be quick on their toes and, and ready to ready to make their decisions quickly. Yeah, and I think you put it well there. We need to see words and actions match up. And so far, I think they have with Joe Cronin. Like, because basically, you knew. I mean, he wasn't able to outright say it, but he said enough to know that, well, you know, we're divesting of salary. We're getting some potential here. Uh, but you you could see the undertones. It feels like they've been in a pretty solid line uh, since he took over. But this is the first divergent point where you get the chance to say, okay, he said he's doing one thing, and then it looks like he's not completely committing to it. Let's hope that the line stays throughout, and let's hope that they do commit to that. But here's the other thing, based on what you said, like the new brand of Blazers basketball makes me itch a little bit. I get it. You know, that's that's that may be what they end up selling. But everybody needs to look at Boston. I said this in one of our articles this week. Look at the Celtics. They made the NBA Finals last year, didn't win it. They made the Conference Finals this year, didn't win it, but got to seven games, right? Close as you can get, pretty much. And they're angry. They're like, you know, ready to fire coach. They're wondering whether Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can stay together when both of them are all NBA players, mind you. Whatever it is you're substituting for winning or going all the way has a shelf life. It's going to be the first time the Blazers make it back to the playoffs, you're going to be really happy. The second time, you're going to expect more. And if they don't deliver, you're going to get itchy. The third time they go out in the first round, you're going to be mad. The second time they go out in the conference finals, you're going to be mad. There is nothing that's going to substitute for being able to go all the way. And if you're not building toward that, you need to retool and start again uh, in a way that you feel you can. Well said. I think that the championship or bus mentality just continues to kind of prevail over the NBA. And I kind of want to ask you now, has your opinion on Jalen Brown and the $295 million, $300 million, has that changed at all over the last week? Well, I mean, not because of his play. Because I, I do believe that they, they were never a, a seamless couple. And I think that Lillard would be able to get out of Brown's way more and facilitate him more. A, because I think Lillard plays way different than Tatum. But also, 
Lillard's in a different stage in his career, and he doesn't have... I mean, those two came up together, right? Tatum and Brown. And they were both kind of... It was more like Lillard and Aldridge, right? So I think that Brown would fit, and obviously his defense would be welcome. The problem with Brown is how do you get him? Because Boston's the only team that can supermax him, and if they supermax him, you, they can't trade him, right? That's a next season then trade. That, so he, he won't get paid. Uh, they can extend and trade him, but the extend and trade rules are you can only up his salary by 5%, okay? So now instead of making 28, he's making a little over 30 million a year, as opposed to the 50 million of supermaxing him, or 40 million, basically, signing a regular extension. I don't think he's going to take a 10 million a year discount. And by the way, you're limited only to three years if you extend and trade. So he's going to cut his contract short by two years and take 10 million less a year. In other words, he's going to take, what would that be? About $90 million instead of $300 million to come play in Portland. And I don't think that's going to happen. And the only other alternative is to trade for him without the extension and hope he resigns it. And you could take his word that he'll resign, you know, but uh, theoretically he could walk into unrestricted free agency with no harm and he's going to get his money somewhere, right? So you have no leverage. So is Portland willing to take that risk of selling the farm for a guy who's on a one-year deal? Or, uh, you know, they can't get Jalen Brown, basically, the deal. That's the problem I have with it. Now, if they have assurances that he's going to resign, blah, 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 of course you would make that move. But it financially, it just doesn't seem like that is a, a, a very easy fit. Oh, man, I hope or a link to Portland, always on these deals like this. Same with Siakam. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough. Well, Siakam, I think, at least makes enough money that where you could extend and trade and still be in the ballpark, maybe. I, I need to look up his contract. Um, and, and Siakam might also have different priorities. And I'm not sure about that because I don't know either gentleman. But you could see Siakam going, well, I think I can win with Dame right? Brown's still young. Again, you know, the problem with, with Brown is what if he intends to resign, but this year doesn't go right, right? What if, what if Dame gets injured? What if something, what if Brown gets injured? What if, you know, and, and he's got a whole career in front of him and still has yet to, I, it's silly to say a guy who made an all NBA team who still has to prove himself, but you know, still prove himself as that transcendent superstar. Because when you talk about the Celtics, it's Tatum and Brown. It's not Brown and Tatum. And it's like Brown feels like he wants to be Brown and, and Lillard or whatever. If that doesn't happen quite right, does he just walk for somewhere else? In short, I don't think Jalen Brown's coming because I, I don't think he's going to give up the money that would be necessary to make that deal work. Yeah, when you put it like that, I think it makes a lot of sense. And sometimes the way he plays, it almost seems as if he, he kind of wants number one guy. Um... And I, I think I've kind of drawn back a little bit with the turnover issues, and, and it, so he pulls up from three-point range a little bit too much sometimes. So I think that'd be kind of kind of problematic with the fan base. But I don't know. With, with the contract situation like that, I think, yeah, I think you can kind of cross that one off. Um, but I don't know. It was it was fun to talk about for a couple of, couple of weeks. <laughs> it's sad how quick they fall, huh? Like, the Joel Embiid delusion was fun. Uh, and then, you know... We had Jalen Brown. It's, it's, I don't know, man. It's like, it's sorry to make this comparison, but it's like a drug, right? Like we're going to, we're going to take some Jalen Brown this week. Oh, that's some good stuff. Oh, oh, well, we came down off of that. That's too expensive. Can't, can't keep doing that. It's like we take the free sample, but don't commit to the dealer. But uh, look, I mean, this is why still a, a veteran like Siakam, uh, who may have a reason to force a trade, and also has different priorities is probably more realistic than a, a young guy who, with the entire world in front of him. Uh, it's just still, but it still carries some of the same risks, admittedly. But I, I just don't think, again, I think if you go player by player through these dream trades, you're starting to see why they don't usually get done. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, do you worry at all about the, the like the fit with Siakam and Grant? You know, hypothetically, if it did happen. Oh yeah, I think eventually you'd have to trade Grant. 
but I think you live with that for a minute, you know? And that's why, frankly, I don't... Look, I don't know that the Blazers aren't rebuilding next year. And no matter what they do, there's a live possibility that the Blazers win 40 games next year and Lillard goes, you know, this isn't it. Or 45 games. And Lillard goes, nice try. I mean, great, 33 to 45, but we're still out in the first round. Uh, or we just made the play-in tournament, and I got to go. I don't believe that the Blazers are necessarily signing Grant because they envision keeping him for the duration of that contract. They're signing Grant because they have to, because they get nothing otherwise, and they have a trade chip down the road if they do it. So uh, I'm perfectly okay getting Siakam and Grant, knowing that Grant may be a trade candidate anyway. Yeah, he's already been kind of linked to some stuff. I know his deadline's coming up, so... I don't need something to watch for, too. Um, hopefully, Portland comes out of it with something, at least some, something good going for him in the future. Um, lots of possibilities. <laughs> we're going to see how it goes. Yep, absolutely. Well, we'll talk more about more of him next week. Maybe there'll be another sweet name. I mean, who's, you know, who's going to posit that Giannis comes up? Or, you know, we already... I couldn't... I had to stop. I had to stop reading, you know, social media suggestions just because it was just like every, and I get, you know, look, we, we talk about like ideas, trade ideas that people have good, bad, or indifferent, but the pattern of it was just crazy. Like, Oh, the Lakers lost. Let's get LeBron. Oh, the Celtics lost. Let's get Jalen Brown. And it's like, it's not going to happen. The only reason Jimmy Butler didn't come back up is that he haven't lost yet. And that will probably happen if they lose the finals. Uh, if the, Nuggets lose, people will be suggesting we should trade for Jokic, I'm sure. But it's like, it's, it's not going to happen. I don't think it's going let's, to. Let's end here. Give me the percentage you think, percentage chance you think the Blazers will complete that huge deal that will just make you grip the arms of your chair and go, holy crap, they did it. Mm, I'll say 20, 20 I'll say 20%. We we done so much talking about it and it just hasn't happened. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it low and hopefully I get proof wrong. But I'll go twenty percent. Yeah, I would have gone fifteen. So you're on the right side of me. I, I and, we're, and we're probably overestimating because we know what fan base we're talking to. If we were doing this podcast in another place for another group of people, we'd probably go two. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. Like I, I'm pretty sure that everybody in Cleveland going. The Blazers think they're getting Jalen Brown? What? They're smoking some good stuff out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So anyway, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, from, from Marlo Ferguson, I'm Dave Deckard. We'll, we'll, again, we'll talk about more stuff like this next week and uh, other possibilities. But as we march slowly toward the draft, we uh, hope your days are bright and all your trade possibilities are brilliant.